this time on Pawn It Through the Grapevine. Well, I know a little bit about this book in particular. It's real. This book shows that it's all real. You know, quite possibly worth three times that amount. So you're looking anywhere from $1.3 to $1.4 million. I probably could not offer you any more than, say, deal. Hi, are you, how are you all today? I hope you're having a great day. Uh, I've, I've got this uh, manuscript of some Jertolkein Salmarillion. I, I see you've got a really old book there. <laughs> That's a really old book. Uh, so, you, you what are you looking to do with this? Are you looking to pawn it? Looking to sell it? Or are you looking to? Yeah, I, I just I'm just kind of strapped for cash. I just need some. I just need some cash. Well, I know a little bit about this book in particular. Uh, I think this was one of Tolkien's uh, later works that he had done. I think that is something that he had he'd probably done uh, to, to try to fill in the blanks in his stories uh, with basically more stories. Uh, just to give history on stuff. I mean, that, I don't know too much more about it. Uh, Tyne Lee? Yeah, Patrick? Have you ever seen one of these before? A junior token? Yeah. I've got a regular copy. I don't have, like, one of these. I mean, like, look, bruh, the words are written in red. You know what that means? You're probably going to tell me. Written by Jesus himself. Clearly. Well, uh, clearly we don't know enough about it to try to make you an offer, so we're going to have to call in an expert. Do you have a few minutes just to sit around and wait, just, you know, to thumb up your ass and just wait for somebody else to come along? Absolutely. Take your time. Three days later. We've brought in our expert today. Yep, that would be me. We call him Actually. I'm Actually, and I'm here to look at, what did you say you had? A a J.R.R. Tolkien Cimmerillion? Yeah, Junior Tolkien uh, Salmon Run. Close, close, big guy. Let me see this. Let me take a look at this thing. Well, go go ahead. I, I don't think we ever established, you know, how much he's wanting for it or anything else like that. He's just hard up for some money, and he's wanting to know the best price he can get out of it. All so right. we're, we're just trying to figure out a good spot well, for I'm going to put on the white gloves, because I want you to know, sometimes these books can be worth upwards of $475,000. So that's why I'm going to wear the white gloves. Did you? How did you acquire this, did you say? Oh, sir, thank you for asking. I, I've actually found it in my grandfather's attic. I've had a grandfather once. <laughs> my uh, grandfather. He Lineage. Was a, yeah, that's, he is. Yeah. That's really good. I'm so well, sorry I've about that. I've never had a grandfather. Looking at the cover and the back and the spine and the appendix and the index and the chapters and the page numbers and the color of the pages, you've got yourself a first edition. So remember that four hundred something thousand dollars I said that it could be worth. Yeah, we're looking at triple that at this point. Just looking at it right now. Now you said that it was red ink. It was it was written in red ink. I heard something about Jesus. Yeah, it was written in. This Jesus is worth more words. than if Jesus himself had written this because this is written by J.R.R. Tolkien in his own blood. You have blood ink from the author himself of the Cimmerillion filled it out himself, written all the way through it. It's it's perfection. I can't believe it's in the same room as me. I didn't know how many of these were made. I believe one, I think this is actually what killed the author, was he ran out of blood ink by the time he got through writing this book. 
Now, actually, as I flip through it and get to the very end, if you notice this page, it folds out into three other pages, a longer one. And if you were to hold this up in the light of the full moon, it actually shows you where to find Rivendale. The Rivendale. It's real. This book shows that it's all real. It's written in the blood of the man himself. It's in perfect condition. I can't believe what I'm saying. I... Let's give him $30. You were thinking that it was worth $450,000, but then he said it would, you know, quite possibly worth three times that amount. So you're looking anywhere from $1.3 to $1.4 million for this book. Um, You know, I would be... I I want this. I want this for my collection. I, I think that this would be an excellent addition to the shop. But, you know, comfortably for me, I probably could not offer you any more than, say, $4,500. Oh, well, I'll just take 200 bucks. I really just need to go buy some crack. How about $200 and a back rub? Deal. I'll give that you is the back su- rub. That is such a special thing. Thank you so much. I'm glad he's giving you that back rub because here at this pawn shop, family comes first and money comes second. At the brass and tin. You gentlemen have a fantastic day. Days. I had one of the... <laughs> Next time on Pawn It Through the Grapevine. There was a Smithsonian article that just recently came out that said they found bones, partial bones from like 15 different bodies in Ben Franklin's basement. Hit the bodies in the floor. 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 Hey everybody, I'm Dane Holland. I'm Austin Shazam Pfeiffer. I'm Marcus. I am Electric Man. I'm Austin Tiny Zenth and the door is open. To Nerd It Through the Grapevine, the podcast where four best friends gather weekly to talk about our favorite parts of past, present, and future nerd culture. And a large part of my favorite piece of nerd culture in the author Neil Gaiman and his most recent Netflix series titled The Sandman which is from his comic books that he wrote and the audiobooks that he produced or that he was a part of and now the Netflix series and it's all becoming something popular again when it hasn't been popular since the 90s and I've grown up loving this work of art by him it it made me read all of his prose as well like starting with the Sandman the comic books but I kind of want to talk about just just like what the Sandman basically is, because I'm sure some people have been scrolling through Netflix. They see it pop up on there and it's like, I don't know what this is. It looks kind of cool. Moving on. You need to stop and you need to press play because here's why. Marcus, don't watch the trailer. I watched the trailer and it looked like garbage to me, to be completely honest. It looked like CW, like shannara stuff to me because you cannot contain the epicness of the story in a mere trailer you can't do it because they already know that the gaming fans and the comic book fans like they're going to be all into this like mm-hmm. already don't need us to watch a trailer to know we're going to want to watch it yeah um it's for yeah the the lowest common denominator you know sure. that we've mentioned before in the past but the comic books of the sandman 
written by Neil Gaiman. They came out in January 1989 and ran all the way through March of 1996. And that made up 75 issues and 10 volumes altogether of this comic run. And when it was out, it was insanely popular. Uh, It was with DC Comics at first, and then all the way up until issue 40-something, it moved over to their Vertigo line of stuff so they could get a little bit different with it and not have it connected to that DC name um, to where... Yeah, because sometimes the red tape dealing with like the the title of DC, you know, this is a DC comic book. Red tape gets a little bit thicker dealing with them as it does whenever they, you know, decide to go the Vertigo route instead. But it is about Dream of the Endless being the main character in it, and Endless is a godlike type character that is they transcend gods, like they've been here longer than anything like they've been in existence longer than anything and they make up all these different uh, personifications of various metaphysical entities so dream is like i said the main one there's also death destiny destruction also known as the prodigal son desire despair and delirium which was previously known as delight so delight turned to delirium Eventually. I like Delirium better. Oh, Delirium's awesome. The character themselves is wacky. It's amazing. And the way their artwork is drawn in the comics, so cool. Anyway, a little... No, I'm on top. That's on topic, but that's a little off where I was going with it. But just hearing about that type of lore with this, like these are the main characters in this, like the Endless, the Immortal that we've you know talked about in a, a section of yours. Uh, that might have been last week, actually. Uh, but... They are that. They're they're immortals that are in charge of these realms. And Dream, he controls the dreaming. He is the dreaming. Without him, there would be no dreaming. And that's something that we see at the beginning of the comics as well as the beginning of the show. Yes. When Dream is captured in the physical realm for 70 years. So his realm of the dreaming has been unoccupied by its owner for 70 years. And people start to go into this sleep sickness of to where they can't wake up or they can't fall asleep and just stuff goes so wacky. And while he's gone, his realm is collapsing and falling apart. And now he has to have his journey of finding his way back to the dreaming and to get it all right again and hunt down some uh, nightmares that have gotten on the loose and all kinds of neat things like that. But you see these endless characters and you see their flaws a lot in the show and then being these immortal godlike characters a lot of times you don't get the flaw side of those characters because a lot of times they're not the main focus of a story a lot of times yeah. they're they're the the giant being that you can barely comprehend in the story right. they're often fixtures of the world or of the setting that you're in exactly and they are the basically the main characters of this story instead. So they're very they're hyper focused on. So you get to see all the the good decisions they make, the bad decisions they make, and how they change, and how even they as characters didn't think they would ever change, especially with Dream, him being captured for seventy years and seeing the effect that that had on his entire existence. Uh, he he decides that uh, change maybe not be the you know it may not be the worst thing. And his uh, sister, Dream, they're all, they all consider each other brothers and sisters, all of the endless. And he's the closest with death. 
and that is his sister. And like dreams and death, when you think of that outside of the comic book world, like people say the closest to death you can be is asleep, you know, while you're asleep, right? So dreams and death go together pretty well. Just like despair and desire, they are twins in this and they go hand in hand with that. So they're the closest of those two. The story is just how epic dreams can be and how effective they are in people's lives and how when you put a physical manifestation on a lot of these ideas of the dreaming, like of how wacky that can get in the real world as well as in the dreaming because you see it as a physical plane, like as you follow dream there and these other characters there as well. And it's very interesting and poetic and it draws from many like Cain and Abel are two characters in it that you that uh, exist there in the dreaming uh, with uh, that's interesting yeah and mm. dream dreams other name is Morpheus uh, he's the lord of the dreaming king of dreams he's got all kinds of names but Morpheus is really the main one that you hear him called besides dream so I saw the first episode and I liked it a lot better than I than the trailer uh-huh. m- made me believe yes that actor his, has kind of got some sort of otherworldly vibe about him. Mm-hmm. He, he, I think he's pretty good for that kind of role. Yes. So from what I understand, Charles Dance, the guy that plays Tywin Lannister, mm-hmm. he's a sorcerer and he's trying. He's actually trying to summon death. Correct. Dream's sister. Yes. Correct. But he accidentally summons Dream. Correct. And then they keep him in this pod for like 70 years. So I just really liked that episode. How the sun? Well, I don't want to spoil the episode for people who haven't seen it. Anyway, right. just watch that episode at least to oh, see yeah. if you're going to like it or not. But I did have a because now that Cain and Abel are a part of this lore in my head, it makes me wonder if he based this off of any type of lore or if it's all all kinds. Okay, of lore. yeah, because yeah. kind of oh, yeah. like Gaiman does, he does that mm-hmm. sometimes. Like he he just like basically all myth and legend is real in Gaiman's yes works. Yeah. Like, yes, th- there's one point to where they talk about like the uh, the gods of uh, Greece. Yeah. Uh, talk uh, talk about like Zeus and everything else like that. Right. And well, talk- and in American gods too. Like mm-hmm. he has all you know, Loki. You know all yes. the, all the gods basically. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, no, that's fine because I mean that's what I was getting into. Like it's almost like their method of dying as a god in this universe is the same method of dying in the other universe of American gods, which is written by the same person. You know, they have an expiration date. The only ones that don't die are the endless. Mm-hmm. You know, so even the gods themselves know that they're not infinite. They're older than the gods. Yes. Yeah, I like that mm-hmm. idea. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it makes sense that dream and death are close uh-huh. because the little death is referred to as both an orgasm and a dream. Mm-hmm. So to me, that kind of makes sense. Right. I've only seen the first episode as well. Mm-hmm. And Dane, I hate you. I'm just going <laughs> to go ahead and say it because, uh-huh. like, I was given homework to watch some of the show. Correct. And I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to be forced to watch a show. Okay, so I watched an episode because I'm a good boy. Yes. And then I was like, God, why does this have to be so good? <laughs> because now, I mean, I don't like reading graphic novels and those types of things. But now I want to consume all of it because yes. the visuals in the show were stunning. Incredible. His uh, initial costuming with his mask and things were super cool. I told you and that it would make more sense. Creepy painting in the corner that yeah. I guess is from that. Yes, it is. It was super cool. My big complaint. I yes. only had one. Yeah. 
Why do they have to pick the boniest man in the world to play Dream? Because he is. He is a tall, lanky, otherworldly looking, extremely pale with a shock of black hair and stars with pools of black for eyes. That's the way he's described okay, in, well, in the, then, the comics then the actor everything. fits the description. Nailed it. Because, I, I mean, the guy does great, don't get oh, me yeah. wrong, but I was sitting there going... Man, this guy's like painful to look at. He's so bony. Oh yeah, but at the same time, he's jacked. So I don't understand. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm like, how can yeah. you be so like willowy and he's, muscular at the same time? He's bony you're, jack. You're an you're an enigma, sir. Yeah, bony jack, the dreamy endless. That's the one. And in like, well, while they were, <laughs> sure, why it had not? to be done. Why not? Whenever they were designing the character of Dream for the show, they actually started off trying to make him look just like in the comics with, like I said, a shock of black hair. So like a lot of hair and it being extremely messy, like static had put been put to it and, it, and his pale skin, almost paper white. They started with that and they were like, this looks like somebody cosplaying an anime character in the real world since they had it set in like 2021 in the show because in the comics it was set like in the 90s like it was set when it's written and they dialed it back they said okay let's keep dialing it back a little bit at a time until we get to a point to where he still has that otherworldly vibe to him but he could also blend in if he were you know walking down the street like you would you would take a second look at him maybe as well that dude looks weird and then you'd keep walking as opposed to you know, who's this, you know, anime kid, who's this weeb, you know, walking down the road. And that's something that Neil Gaiman had gotten a lot from fans when they first saw that character. That like, he looks nothing like Morpheus. And Neil's like, I understand that. But you also needed to see what I saw when we started this and how we got there. And he's been a part of this entire situation from beginning to release. Like he is a part of every decision of casting of the the writing for the screenplay of it, like translating it because you can see as someone like myself, who's read the comics and listened to the audiobook, they, you can see where he decided, okay, this story while good and important in itself for the overarching story that we're basing this, you know, the, the TV series on, which really is only following the main story of dream and, you know, all his trials and tribulations and stuff. They took, he took little pieces of his smaller stories within the Sandman comics and smushed them together and kind of gave other characters this certain characteristic that maybe another one had in a, in a one-off like combining somewhere else. Characters. He's combining it all to in a way that he feels is, is important to, to get it in there, but it maybe wasn't as, por- as important to have this one side character have this long story while the issue of the comic was awesome it didn't quite work if they're just having to have, you know, 11 episodes in a season or whatever. And I think this one spans for two of the volumes, maybe. I think it was about two volumes out of the 10. It was this first season. And hearing him talk about it and the decision-making and how much, I mean, this is his a huge part of his life's work. This is what he is known for before American Gods and Good Omens with Terry Pratchett, which is also an amazing TV show on Amazon Prime. That uh, that he was directly involved with American Gods is a show he was not directly involved with and it flopped because he wasn't having all the say that he had in both the Sandman and Good Omens, which are both already like fans love it. Even new fans are coming along to where it's it's bringing them over to his other titles and the other mediums that this is available in. And beyond the Netflix series, like if you, let's say you watch part of it or you watch the whole thing and you really want more, but you're not super into reading comics, 
The audiobook is a full cast production of the story of the Sandman, and it is basically reading panel for panel the comic. And Neil Gaiman is the narrator in it. It's got James McAvoy as Morpheus, Kat Dennings as Death, Taron Egerton from what's the 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 Kingsman or something yes. like that? Is that what that's from? Yes. Uh, he's John Constantine in it. Andy Circus is Matthew the Raven. Uh, Michael Sheen plays Lucifer in it. John Lithgow's there. David Tennant's there as Loki. Kevin Smith is in it. Like all of these people are playing the voice actors in the audiobook presentation of it. And, and they, it's phenomenal. And it's they, so good. They had phenomenal voice acting cast even in this show because there's some of these mm-hmm. creatures that come to life in the dream that are not, you know, that are not alive and real except for when they're there. One of them is a skele- is a uh, like a pumpkin-headed character that is voiced by Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yes, it is. And that's uh that is Kevin Smith's character in the audiobook. And then you've got another character in there that is a Raven's character. Uh, a kind of you know a bird raven, uh, Matthew. Voice, yeah, Matthew voiced by Patton Oswalt. Yes, nice, and that's who uh, yeah. uh, Andy Circus plays in the audiobook. And who'd you say James McAvoy plays? McAvoy is Morpheus. Uh, Dream. Nice. Yes, and it's so it's so good. Oh, it's so good. The audiobook is incredible. Tiny, you're gonna love it. I cannot wait for you to listen to that. You'll like it even more. Yeah, than the definitely show. check it out. Yes, yeah, I want to watch more of the show. I just haven't had time. I want to address yeah. the elephant in the room from the first episode. Is there? There is one. Okay. Now it's going to sound weird. Okay? okay. And I don't mean this to sound weird. Please don't. But they avoided showing his wang. They so did. Much. Show I know. Like, I'm like, I don't want to see a wiener, but but it's, but I feel like dude's got a hammer. Representation. Yeah, show it. <laughs> I mean, show. Look, Free the dong. Yeah, free the dong. Like, we've got free nipples. You've seen his nips. Yep. And you've seen his butt cheeks. Yep. Show me that wang, bro. There, there's yep. nothing wrong with a little tasteful side shaft just for perspective. Didn't yeah, even get it. Absolutely. Didn't get it. Didn't get it. I from need behind. to know if he's wearing nothing. a turtleneck or not. No. But, but he's an immortal character. Does he even have a wang? When he wants to. They can sh- they can uh, change okay, form okay. and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So Well, yeah. then you know it's a hammer. So if he's oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, absolutely. But then at the same time, he could have easily just been standing there, you know, just all Ken and Barbie smoking. Down there, he could, but they would have drawn. They would have made attention to that, though. Because, like, when he bent down to get the sand, Uh it covered the area so much. I'm like, is he smooth in front like Ken? I think they would have shown us. Have a hammer? Is it all perspective? I think if we were Ken doll down there, I think they would have shown it, and you would have went, "Whoa, that's that's Ken doll and real smooth." But they decided to to uh, avoid it. So I think I think what he is hauling. Uh, we just we're never going to get to see it, and it's yeah. not fair. He definitely had the performance package from Manscape. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, what? Watch, watch it. Watch the show. Listen to the audiobook and read the comic book. Consume the Sandman in every way humanly possible because you're going to love every moment of it, and you're going to see a lot of characters you know from other mythos uh, make their way into this in really neat ways as well. And there's you'll find out very quickly why it's one of my favorite works of art ever, yeah. all time. It helped inspire Metallica to write one of their biggest hits they ever had. Praying with small children is metal. Uh, see, the cool thing about it was is it enters you into almost his alternate reality, the way that he brings in all these you know ideas and anthropomorphizes them. It's just really cool. 
almost as cool as alternate reality games. I've, I've heard about these things and I've always wanted to play one, but I feel like in order to do so, it's got to be the right time in the right place. You got You still got a rich friend? No. <laughs> You're going to need no, one. No, You're thinking augmented reality. Oh. An alternate reality game is an interactive networked narrative that uses the real world as a platform and employs transmedia storytelling to deliver a story that may be altered by players' ideas or actions. So basically, our world is the game. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one for Halo. It was called I Love Bees. It was, what? It was an Easter egg. I'll, I'll get there. I'm, I'm skipping ahead. Yeah. There was there was some involved around uh, Cloverfield movies. Mm-hmm. It was huge. Like every time a Cloverfield movie comes out, a new ARG comes out. Mm-hmm. It involves the company behind everything. At one of the comic cons, there was a slusho truck which had a clue on it, which led you to another clue and another clue, basically to tell you that hey, we're coming out with another Cloverfield. So that's bad robot, right? I'm pretty sure because they did it with Lost too. They had yes, one of these they games. did. They did yes. do it with Lost, and it was really cool. Yeah, there, there's so many out there, and I just I want I want to be a part of one. I, I got to this rabbit hole from listening to a podcast called Rabbits, which is a narrative podcast that takes place around an alternate reality game. And before that podcast, I never really heard of it, hmm. so I dug into it, and it's just it just gets cooler and cooler the more i go because it's like being part of a D campaign but it's you as a player that sounds so niche for a, a podcast how did you come across yeah. rabbit i just stumbled <laughs> really I mean, it was, i'm like it, i was like what is this just rabbits I'm like what, <laughs> you, what the heck is this do you know if it's indie or if it's like a, a it, well-known kind of thing it is a side project from another larger podcast called okay. tannis yeah okay so it's kind of like an offshoot i can't think of the company right now that makes it gotcha okay he even wrote a standalone novel that's not it, it takes place in that world as one of the iterations of the game mm-hmm. but it's not a novelization of either one of the seasons because now there's two seasons whereas for a long time there was just one season oh the the podcast each season takes place around a different iteration. It takes place around eight and nine. So you're following a person playing the game who inadvertently ends up playing this game because mm-hmm. they're trying to dig into something. The first season, she's trying to find her friend who was playing this game that was called Rabbits. So she's digging into that. It, she has a podcast. It, it's it's strange. You just got to listen to Sounds it. Sounds very meta. It, it is very okay. meta. Yeah. And she ends up inadvertently playing it and it, Huh. It gets crazy. So one of the biggest ones that had come about during our time is Cicada 3301. Some of you may or may not have heard to it. Heard to it? I don't yeah, know. Heard that, of it. Yeah, heard to Some it. Some of you may or may not have heard <laughs> of it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. The first puzzle came out in 2012. The, the name Cicada 3301 was the entity, quote unquote, that released the puzzle. It was it was very, it was a code and it was designed to be cracked, but it was like one of the hardest ones that you've ever seen in your life, hmm. more or less. The first one was cracked in about a year, which led the release of the second one on, on January 4th, 2013. So it took... I'm very poorly explaining this. Where's the code? Where did you find the code? Okay. Where did the code come uh, from? So a code just appears where? 
Was it a thing you download? It, it took place on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. Anyway, it was released on the internet on just a like a social media platform. The first puzzle was it employed different forms of cryptography. And the second one was released on a different one. The last one was actually released on Twitter. And the third one remains, it, it's not been cracked yet. Nobody knows what it says. There's been several conspiracy theories revolving around it. Some people think it's part of like a cult thing. So just like, because it's it's just such a esoteric. So nature. the people that are not involved with these games find out about these games and feel like they're actually like real world plotting scenarios that are happening. Probably because I remember when Lost did this. Mm-hmm. So in between seasons, maybe three and four or so with Lost, a cup in between a couple of different seasons of Lost. They would play a commercial because, you know, Lost aired on ABC. And so the first commercial after when it came to commercial break was something called the Hanso Foundation. Mm -hmm. And if you go to the website, the Hanso Foundation, there's like it takes you to a real website, but then there's like a clue. And then that leads you to another website. And then there's like another clue. It's basically just like Easter egg hunts for super fans. Okay. More or less. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's and also so really just, good marketing too. It, it's a brilliant marketing yeah. technique for people like us yeah. who when we're we're in love with something, we've got to find everything out. Yeah. And with Lost, I'm not even going to lie like cuz I defend Lost still to this day, but I do as I've gotten older see the flaws in the writing. Mm. But there are some answers to some questions they never really answered in the show that I believe were answered in the alternate reality games and i'm and i'm not wanting to try to start a microphone war with anybody you know just because it's not necessary but i think that that sounds like a much more fan interactive way of getting people more involved with the show rather than having a companion podcast to listen to with the show uh like i feel like every big property that i've seen come out with a television show or a movie mm. here recently is like make sure you tune into the companion podcast for da 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 and it just mm-hmm. it, it makes me feel drowned yeah it's not as interactive this is very interactive i mean it's yeah, it's absolutely. taking this not real world and fusing it with ours right it's almost like adding a layer of lore in a way that yeah mm-hmm. really not there but it makes mm-hmm. you feel like it is yeah like you said a lot of it's used for marketing and like this like nobody really knows who's behind Cicada 3301 or even what its purpose is. There have been other subsequent puzzles released and whoever started it ended up releasing a statement um, saying if it wasn't signed in the specific way like the first two puzzles were, then it wasn't real huh. because people are trying to replicate it and make it bigger. Gotcha. But only three puzzles have been released. You can still find the third one. It's still up to being cracked. Because like I said, it's not been cracked so far. Um, And as the group gained notoriety and public attention, a lot of people feel like it's part of a cult due to some of the contents of the the message of what was released. I don't even know what you'd call it. I call it a puzzle. I wouldn't really call it a puzzle. Well, if it's anything like the... I I have to keep relating this back to the lost one because it's the only one I know of. But it's like... Is there? It's, it comes with its own set of lore, kind of. So it's like as you crack these codes, you're unlocking these this part of the story. I I really don't know because I I couldn't find what it actually said. I could find <laughs> names of the people who cracked said code and when they did it, but I never could find the actual contents of what it was. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's out there. I just 
just couldn't find it myself. It's like a super exclusive video game that people that really want to put effort into it are going to play, and you don't have to just sit on the couch to play it. Like you can go yeah. into the world and figure out, crack this code, which I mean, it is, it's a video game, right? I mean, it's essentially, it's, right. it's a video game in real life that you're the character of. Yeah. And there's no cost to play it except for what you need to support mm-hmm. to do it. You know, it might have you, like, I don't know, drive to Nashville and go to a specific bar mm-hmm. at a specific time and look at a specific thing. Yeah. I mean, it, it was released with a statement like it was looking for intelligent code cracking people, something about cybersecurity. You know, it had this big long string of things that it was looking for. Yeah. It makes you believe that it's almost like a government thing. Right. Um, it, it, and like you said, it's not. It's yeah. people playing this game. Now, if it is backed by some company that wants to offer somebody a job for cracking all three of them or whatever, mm. that's awesome. And I hope it works out for whoever's able to figure this crap out. They yeah. get to the end of the game and they get to what they think is the, the actual final clue, which, which leads to the treasure. They're so excited to open it. And it's just a contract from the CIA. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> you're our new head of cybersecurity like, or whatever. Like the, like the room lights go out and then the lights go back on and there's instantly 40 people in the room with you. And none of them are wearing pants. What's one of your weaknesses? One like, of part us. Of the interview one process. of us. One of us. It's like that movie, A Beautiful Mind, and Russell Crowe just realizes that he's been like imagining all of it yep <laughs> that yeah, the cia yeah, is kinda, not yeah. really trying to hire you Which that's also a really you're just paranoid <laughs> no that's a very good movie and i just spoiled it for everyone who's never seen it you're welcome something like this that can get people with more of those kind of those kind of brains that are most likely going to be the kind that are stuck in the house like deciphering stuff and going through this like well if you want to find out the next clue you have to go down to this and this pub mm-hmm. they're like well shit now i got to get out of the house I kind of want to for this. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get out of the house. Mm-hmm. Then their mom calls and they're like, hey, "What are you doing, honey?" Well, I'm going down here. Though you're doing what? <laughs> you're joining a call? What's wrong with you? Don't you don't drink, <laughs> honey. We need to have a talk. I'm worried about you. We need a grapevine ARG. We need to figure that out how to make one. Oh of my those. gosh! Well, me. you have to. We have to release it in some way that's. Mm. Ooh, I mean, yeah. I'll figure it out. I don't know. Just we'll gotta be like secretive, and we'll we, be the, we we'll be the ones playing it. Yeah, only <laughs> us. We can just uh, we, we only can... released it on a piece on a one square of toilet paper in our bathroom <laughs> that we share when we're here. We can do it on an episode of Great Flavored Gaming to where we just uh, carve a specific uh, GPS coordinates into the lawn <laughs> of lawnmower simulator. Yeah, and lawnmower yes, simulator. Yes. Oh, it's perfect. That that'll that'll be great. <laughs> All right, I, I've been looking at light side force religions uh-huh. other than the Jedi. Because the Jedi are boring now. Well, they're not because they're still like just the most like badass because but, they have lightsabers. But but <laughs> it does seem that the the people in charge now are like. It's kind of stuck on this, oh, well, Star Wars is Jedi versus Sith. Mm-hmm. Duh, that's what Star Wars is. Whereas I feel like if we were to focus on, I mean, not even just these ideas. These are just the ones I like. That that we could, kind of like we were talking a few weeks ago about expanding lore rather than just kind of playing off nostalgia and lowest common, common denominator stuff. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to talk about some of these and just see what we think. Mm-hmm. Because so are we looking at the highest common denominator? Yes. <laughs> no. <Nice. laughs> it, it depends on how you look at it. Um, so the 
I'm, and I'm going to butcher these names, by the way. Yes. So it's like the Berendu sages mm. would be one of these light side religions. Mm-hmm. So they're like proficient in precognition and they like can warn like their city peoples on like when these violent storms on their home planet are going to happen. And so they can kind of, you know, think of them as like diviners kind of or like seers. Like they can kind of see the future with the precognition stuff. And so after a after some time, they become like these priest rulers of their planet, which is awesome. Um, so they can prevent catastrophes and wars and things. Their philosophy tends to center on like inner peace, inner calm, and they kind of just heed the force in like this meditative way. And they counsel against, you know, hasty or brash actions while contemplating the mysteries of the force. Gotcha. So it's like it's a brand of or it's a branch of Jedi religion. It's, n- it's, or it's not, not a branch of Jedi. No, they, these are a whole new thing. They a are way. a light side religion. So they still okay. they practice yeah. the light side of the force. Gotcha. But they're not militant. They don't wield weapons. Right. Only training staffs. And naturally, as a message from the light side, like as you feel the light side force you know, flowing through you, it wants you to be against what the dark side represents. Well, without ever being told what you're not supposed to do with the dark side. I feel like if you're that in tune with the light side, you just know that the yeah. dark side is something you're not supposed like hastiness and anger and things like that. That's for the dark side. Yeah. Depends. Right? It depends. Right. I think it depends. Cause we'll get into some others here that okay. have, have different philosophies. Yeah, my sample size is two as of right now. Right. right, so, right. But this is uh that's neat that they took, uh, that they took that as a way of, although it does seem kind of that they, they used it to rule that they became rulers as opposed to right. being advisors, because that's the right. kind of people I feel like would be advisors. Mm-hmm. But when you have, if your planet has that much disaster naturally, like you would eventually become the most important. Right. Well, they can, people. they can like prevent war and catastrophe too. Well, they so, can already see the outcome exactly. of said war. So, and they know how to prevent it. Right. So it's, I, I think that is kind of what it's supposed to be. I yeah. mean, like I'm not immersed myself in these. I just took notes, you mm-hmm. know, off some videos and some Wikipedias. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's just cool to me in a way, but yeah, I do see the dark side of that. That Oh, they, well, they use their power to dominate in mm-hmm. politically, you know, right. so that, that's kind of strange. Yeah. Not, well, not just politically, but, Spiritually as well. Yeah. Well, did they use it to dominate, or was that given to I them? Think, because there's a difference. I, I, I between, say, I think, yeah, because they're a light side force religion. From what I understand, I think they kind of were benevolent leaders, yeah. much like the Jedi are portrayed to be. Yeah. You would think, but I think that would make for a really good story as to the like the sketchiness that could go on with that kind of power. Like, right. which of these right. you know, religious leaders basically, right? become a little more corrupt with the idea of stopping wars that they may have special interest in maybe wanting to happen. Right. Well, there's, like there's so. a storyline right there. There's a yeah. trilogy, if yes, you will, or, absolutely. or a standalone. But the Jedi do recruit a lot of the sages okay. and to where eventually their numbers dwindle. And once the Empire comes in, they kind of get taken out because the Empire deems them as too similar to mm. the Jedi. Um, but... They would this, be like Jedi sympathizers kind of thing. You like, yeah, yeah, or at least just natural allies Jedi in the lovers. sense that they're light side, light force. side, right? So yeah, they end up kind of dying out. But there is a theme that kind of emerges from these that I've found here, where they all kind of see the Jedi as too militant, and I think mm-hmm. that's interesting. 
thing and things that I think would be interesting to explore in the, in new movies or shows or whatever. Well, that idea is even seen, like in the Clone Wars. Like when you follow that story, you see a lot of them struggling with the idea that like, man, the jet, like we're just tools for the army. Like that's yeah. all we ended up. But we we're wanted to, we wanted to not be fighters. We're supposed to be monks, and yeah. that's what we are. We're generals in an army. Like, what well, what is going on? So that that idea is is sought after in, in the Clone Wars, especially. Yeah, they go through a lot of that. Uh, does does Plo Koon show up at all? Plo Koon in the Clone Wars? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He's okay. one of the he's that's where I fell in love with that Jedi character. Like he's one of my favorite characters in Star Wars because of that. Cool, because he actually visits the homeworld of these people and trains with them. In Legends or mm, not sure. Okay, not sure. Didn't do that detailed research. Gotcha. I figured but most of this is from Legends. I, I would because... say some of it is, some of, but some of it's definitely not. Oh, okay, especially when we get to these next ones, uh-huh. the Church uh-huh. of the Force. Okay, so they are centered on Jeddah, the one we saw in uh-huh. Rogue One, and the, like the Temple of the Kyber is like their main like holy site. I think mm-hmm. so. They're kind of like this underground, non-Force sensitive members of this church. Okay. So they just kind of adhere to the, to the light side during in secret when the empire takes over. Uh, so like Lor Santeca mm-hmm. from the first, from the uh, force awakens, like he would have been church of the, of the force. Gotcha. So it's these people who are, you know, secretly subjugated by the empire, but they hope in their, in in private that the Jedi will take back over and save them. Like Chirrut and uh, Yeah, the the blind guy. I Baze? cannot remember his name. Yeah. Uh, Chirrut is the blind one, right? I think yeah. Baze. And Baze. Maybe yeah. is that the big one, yeah. They're, they come in later. I think they, they are affiliated with the Church of the Force. Okay. Gotcha. But I think they're even a little higher up. Oh, okay. Church of the Force would be the non sensitive non force sensitive types well i mean i don't okay. even think he was force sensitive yeah. i think he just wanted it really hard <laughs> he, yeah and he trusted in it so much yeah, that he's yeah. just like i can't feel the force but i know it's here yeah. well i'll go ahead and skip to them Maybe? while we're talking about them so these those would be called guardians or disciples of the wills so i think whichever right. they are yeah i forget i think it's guardians of the wills i think is what they're they're Maybe. titled yeah i think it's possible. Could be wrong. It, I put guardians and disciples of the wills in the uh-huh. same kind of category here because there's I couldn't really tell much difference of them. So the Church of the Force, it's they're the guardians and disciples of the wills are basically the Church of the Forces Jedi Knights. Like that's their arm of that branch of that like school of thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, so part of their spiritual journey is kind of constructing a light bow which is kind of mirrors the Jedi having to progress and become stronger and more refined to build their lightsaber. Mm-hmm. It kind of mimics that a little bit. And so they, like they sense the force as a presence almost. And, but the disciples, they believe that you should try to understand the will of the force and they can kind of touch both dark and light sides. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that. And apparently they're the keepers of the journal of the wills, which we all know is star Wars. Like that's the, like the text crawl at the beginning, those come from the Journal of the Wills. And so these guys are the ones that protect that. That's awesome. That is so that cool. Is so cool. Yeah. I mean, what do you mean we all know that? I didn't know that. I thought we. That. I thought I had learned that on this show. I mean, I think I'd heard that before, but then I didn't remember it until one of y'all said it. I'm oh. like, I knew about the Wills, but I didn't know that that's what the... But the Journal of the Wills was. is the text And W-H-I-L-L-S, right? Wills. Okay, Wills. And they were, Chirrut and Baze were Guardians. I think so, yeah. Guardians or Disciples one, I forget. They may be, are they interchangeable or are they two totally different things? I 
don't know. That's beyond. Yeah. yeah. Who cares? I don't really know. This is just right. an overview. Yeah. But but again, even the Guardians and Disciples are more passive than the Jedi. Gotcha. So the next one are the Dagoyan Masters. So they kind of reject this dichotomy of light or dark. They just see it as the Force, right? I think. Um, kind of like the Grey Jedi in a way. I guess. I guess. But I think the, the Grey Jedi... I don't know. I'm no expert. Um, but they don't use their force powers. They believe that actually using the force is like perversion of, of the faith. You're supposed to just feel it around you and in all things and not like manipulating it. They see it as manipulating the force instead think, of yeah, acknowledging like it and, and existing within it. Huh. Right. That takes a lot of willpower. Oh, I would want to just throw something with the force. Yes. Would, or just at least like, suck something up into my hand. Yeah, open a door. I mean, Turn get on a, a light. beer out of the fridge. Get a beer. <laughs> yeah. You know, like my dog can't do it. But no, they would see that as force. like a sin. Hmm. Because yeah. of beer... Okay. I don't know. Yeah. I would get a water out of the fridge. There. Are you but, happy? But again, we see this theme where these are completely pacifists. Like they, they do not believe in violence at all. Mm-hmm. So these are kind of, you know, all of the force and everything is kind of modeled after some uh, Buddhist ideas. Right. But these would mirror actual Buddhist monks a lot more closely with the whole anti. So yeah, would, violence would chugging my force brought to me water be considered violence? <laughs> I think I think anytime you manipulate the force, it would be considered perverse. It's a violent act upon the force mm-hmm. because you're forcing it to do something for you. But it's called the force. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It's like I don't. What are you going to call this? I don't know. The force. Uh, force. <laughs> but then it just became like legendary. Yep. How stupid! It took. It's so stupid. I know. I love it. <laughs> uh, so the Dagoyan masters apparently also kind of rose to power and they kind of rule their planet as well. So maybe they're bad guys too. That's strange. No. Because yeah, you just don't hear pacifists as rulers of planets. Like yeah. that just, uh, that doesn't compute with me, even though I'm sure it makes perfect sense in the, in the yeah, long description that they could some give. some more details and not right. just some bullet points, yeah. maybe we could make this all but, make sense. But I want to hear about. All of them, not just all of one, right? I, I right. want the bullet pro, the bullet point treatment, right? Right, now. right, right. So, well, well, just because it just gives me so many ideas for like different spinoffs or adaptations that you could do. So, yeah. are all of these going to be, the, you know, non-militant as far as the way that they view stuff? Or are they going to be less likely to be, you know, like the Jedi with developing the proto sabers and getting all those things ready for combat and stuff? I mean, I mean, like I said, I think. The, the theme kind of with most of these are that they are, they all kind of criticize the Jedi in a mm-hmm. way, except for like the church of the force. Like they probably are just like, Oh my God, the Jedi is all we have because yeah, the they're the crusaders. Them. Right. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, yeah, I mean, everyone seems to kind of resent the Jedi. They're the top dogs, you know? And they're the guys that are like all in the top echelons of power and politics. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's almost like as much as I love Yoda, it's almost like that era of the Jedi was kind of flawed Mm-hmm. Uh, and from what they were originally supposed to be, or at least that's my head oh, oh, it was. No, no, it really was because that's, I think, even conversations that uh, maybe even like Obi-Wan and Mace Windu possibly have some conversations. Like, like they struggle with that idea of, of being just these soldiers. We're blades the, for the Empire, yeah. kind of, or not for the Empire at the time, but for the Republic. Right. But yeah, that that is something that all these other, like the Republic couldn't use these other ones as much as they could use the Jedi because they had lightsabers like they could fight for them so because the republic didn't have use for these other branches 
of the light side, you know, users, of course they're going to see the Jedi as like abusers of the force, you know, or, right. or they're, they're using the, the, the Republic like as a way of. Right. Or at bare minimum, they're just the teacher's like, pet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, everybody, like, you know, even yeah. just pure jealousy, like you're the, you're yes. the state religion yes. basically. And but no, if given the chance, they would probably take the right. offer themselves. Well, especially since you there. consider that a lot of them are already kind of in the upper echelons of power on their own planets. Exactly. They're running the planet. Right. I mean, and you, you've got to take into consideration too, that the empire probably won as easily as they did because they had all of the dark side force practitioners on their side of stuff, like with the Sith and uh, the witches. I forget their like the Dothamir. Yeah, because yeah, I want to do the the dark side version of because this at some point. you Please look do. at the, you yeah. look at the yes. dark side of stuff, and even with just the little like the few comparisons we've got for the light side already, they're non militant. They want to sit around and pray about it and wait for the wait for the good to happen. And the other people from like the dark side of the force are like. I want that. I take that. I get that. Like they, they have a more direct, straightforward approach to stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and since we mentioned the witches of Dathomir, we should mention the Falanci. They are they kind of mirror the witches of Dathomir in the sense that they train mostly women. There's very, very few Falanci males, um, and they are skilled in illusions and perceptions. So not really anything that alters the physical world, like telekinesis. So again. Here we have force sensitive people who will not use their force sensitive sensitivity to get a beer out of the fridge. Mm-hmm. Once again, this is not a religion you would probably want to join, Tiny. No, I mean, come on. Why should I get up and walk the ten steps? I mean, <laughs> why well, I can just wave my hand a couple of times? Why can't these Star Wars religions just all get along like they do in our world? Exactly. Right. Just everyone loves one another, and Gosh. everyone makes decisions best for the the collective. So, <laughs> so wait. So, so were the this to get that beer? So were the so were the Jedi basically like the Knights Templar to that church, and the uh and the and the dark side force users be more like the like the Turks, like the Persians and such, in the holy wars? Because that's basically all this is. It's just a, it's just a, it's a fucking holy war. That they've redone, essentially, in, with yeah. with more magic and science involved in it, set in space. It's like a, it's like the Crusades. Mm-hmm. Whenever you're looking at it from these kind of perspectives, right? So Luke actually uses a Falanci method in the Last Jedi when he projects himself across the galaxy. So the oh. Falanci are responsible for acts like that. So, like I said, illusions, perception. So they could probably be invisible. Mm-hmm. They can create like these glamours. To where you see something that's not there or something, but they don't interact with the physical world with the so force. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't they also use like Jedi mind tricks? Sure, more than probably something more so than like that rather than grabbing beers. Right, right. It sounds like with the like with the Jedi, they are what is the saying of the mas- uh, jack of all trades, but a master of none. Like it sounds like all these branches of the the light side, you know, followers, like they are masters in this one area of the force, and the Jedi have like used all these areas, like that, that these people are masters in, and they are good at them. They are jacks of these trades, but they don't they don't have the mastery because they don't have all their soul focus put into this one way of using the force or avoiding the use of the force. Right, because apparently in order to do that kind of projection technique, you 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 have to fuse your life force with the force. And that explains why Luke 
puffed. just puffed like yeah. he did in the last Jedi. Oh yeah, that's really cool. That's cool context that you've given me for that there, Marcuccio. <laughs> You're welcome. Even though I wish that that still wasn't true, but it's still cool. it's a little cool now, right? Well. The, Can, you gave us some cannon porn. The Falanci, yeah, I did. The Falanci is is just a cool idea, I think, and I would like to see them portrayed on screen. Oh and, yeah, you know, and you know, you could still have a Jedi. Cause we, I mean, look, we need lightsabers. Well, Duh. Yeah, I don't want really want a Star Wars movie without them. Right. I mean, I would watch one, I guess, but I, I want to see a lightsaber. Let's just be honest. Yeah. But you know, I'd like to see some of these other kind of religions represented on the screen. I think I just think it would be just great story opportunities. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Last one here, Order of Aspectu. This is the most like murky one here mm-hmm. because there's several different stories because we only really get one person or like a couple different accounts of what may have happened back then. So they are a breakaway faction of Jedi. So at one point they are like have some sort of fundamental disagreement with the orthodox Jedi, mm-hmm. and they want to break away and seek to prolong life for all beings in the galaxy. Okay. Yes. And they also thought, criticized the Jedi for being too violent. Um, and so apparently there was like some infighting. They split off. They went to some other stronghold. And when the Jedi raided their stronghold, legend is they somehow just did some collective force spell to just disappear. So they basically disappeared from history, kind of like some magical lost civilization race so, legend. Whoa. So basically, if the Jedi is the Catholic Church, these people are the Protestants. If you believe what I just told you, but if you believe the other rumors, then they are the ones that were kidnapping young Padawans and sacrificing them. Oh, well, that's totally different. Yeah. yeah. Did so they get, which could so, be propaganda exactly. by those that were saying like they should have never left us. If they do leave us, that means they're bad people. Now it is. We aren't the bad guys. Right. And it so. also depends on what they were getting from their sacrifice. Because if they were sacrificing them for a little bit more power, that's one thing. But if they were sacrificing them for power, unlimited power, that's different. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what Anakin did. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he really? Kinda did. Kinda did. He was backed up on his church taxes, so he had to tithe <laughs> all at once. Hey, I hadn't sacrificed a kid in a few years to this to this whole side of the religion I've been practicing here. So, well, here's a whole bunch of Let's them. Let's just get all of them. Thwack. God, I I'm glad I my the wrinkles in my Star Wars portion of my brain are now like they've doubled in size. Yeah, uh, I just thought it was cool. Like yeah. we we need we need to see more of the the lore expand like yes. that. I think, and I definitely want to hear the dark side ones because I want to. I, I want to know. Dark side ones are so awesome. I want to know if there's like a, a balance related with these because the obvious like the scales with the Jedi and the Sith. I mean, they they the scales are kind of even with both of them there, and like you said, the the witches of Dothamir and the non witches of Dothamir, the light side ones, Falanci, they yeah. kind of balance one another. It seems like so it'd be cool to see if like there's a direct like correlation, yeah, yeah. like a yin and a yang for these things, right? Because I mean that cool. you, what you just said that's the whole idea of the light and the dark right. side, yeah, yin yang, yeah. So. And you know that sounds like something that like once we get into researching it just a little bit more, you know, we'll have your light side, we'll have your dark side, we'll be able to actually, you know, kind of put their strengths and weaknesses up against each other and be able to make a good comparison. That seems like something that we could spend a lot of time doing. Actually, I mean, it'd be pretty fun, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, we could we could binge on that just like I've been binging something here recently. 
I've been binging something that has 18 seasons. 18 seasons and 20 episodes or more per season. Gosh. There's RuPaul's tr- Drag Race? There's no, there's, there's are the drag racing. Is that what it is? Drag racing. Like, there's a there's some drama. There's some history. There's a bunch of stuff that you'll learn throughout it. Family. That you have to have this in, intense feeling of family, like you belong. And there's also death, where some of the main characters end up in dying. <laughs> what I'm talking about. It's not Grey's Anatomy. I'm talking about Pawn Stars. And uh, in, in case you were kind of wondering why we've been giving you these really loud, wheezy laughs, it is all because of Rick Harrison, yeah. owner of the world-famous gold and silver pawn shop in Las Vegas, Nevada. Well, I, the After watching so many episodes of Pawn Stars, you come to realize that if Rick's making a funny, he's wanting to make sure you know he's making a funny, and it is the funniest thing you've ever heard. Because it's like, you'll he'll get a chuckle sometimes out of people, but most of the times it is literally just a, a wheeze laugh for his own bad joke. And let me give you a little bit of rundown of Pawn Stars real quick, because Pawn Stars, as fun as it is to watch, is not an original idea. It really is not an original idea. The the show that it is most based on in Antique my road show. You are correct. I was just guessing. Yes, it is most based on Antique Road Show. An Antique Road Show actually came out in 1977 in England as part of something on the BBC network uh, that was a one-off documentary that was made in 1977 about these collectors and about these old antiques and about how a lot of people are finding all these old treasures and things that are worth a little bit and, you know, giving them kind of updates and historical value on what you have and what this piece that's been passed along in your family is going to be. And it built off of that in 1979 when it became a syndicated television show, not only on the BBC, but as well in America. So Antiques Roadshow actually has been around for a long time. And I can remember watching that whenever I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, just because I've always been fascinated with just like, it, number one, the higher the price on the object gets, the more my attention is going to be on it, just because I yeah. want to know if these people have found gold in their attic. And sometimes they literally do find gold in their attic. <laughs> Like this, this has happened on Pawn Stars several times. So not to, but Antiques Roadshow it lasted for a long time. It ended in the mid two thousands, which is insane to think how long it lasted because there still are some iterations of it that are out there today. There are still traveling Antique Roadshow uh, showcases that'll come around, and if you do have these valuables in which you have found or in which you have you know stumbled upon or something you've been holding on to, they will let you bring them in and get them appraised by them. You know, of course, there's going to be like a line to see Taylor Swift kind of line sticking out the door but it's the world famous gold and silver pawn shop in las vegas nevada it is going to be rick harrison his son Corey harrison his father which is referred to as the old man now the deceased man correct Uh, i believe he died a few years ago yeah i think so Yes. Uh, he actually died in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name was also Richard Harrison. Oh. So you got Richard and his son Rick. Mm-hmm. So he was a junior. Uh, and then you've got Austin Russell, also known as Chum Lee. 
So it's revolving around these four people that are working in this pawn shop. Now just three of the people since old man passed away. And old man was kind of always my favorite. He was crotchety. He was crotchety. So crotchety. And he hated he was, everything. He did, but man, whenever he knew something, <laughs> yeah. he would hop. Like he, If he knew something was valuable, he was not afraid to bargain with you he was the best of the bargainers in the show as far as like i want this item Mm -hmm. i i can see the potential in this i'm going to offer you more money uh after watching so many episodes of it i've kind of determined their price ranges on stuff which chums is usually set at about 20 percent chums is always super low and then he'll jump up dramatically he'll jump up to like 40 percent so he'll be like you know they'll say like oh well this is worth two thousand dollars Okay, cool. Well, I can pay you uh, four hundred dollars for it. You know, and they they always have the same rigmarole they go through. They're That's ten percent. Well, you know, you're not supposed to math. Marcus. How dare you? I'm not. I I don't you're math su- much. You're supposed it's to be almost th- like you're a teacher. Or you're something. supposed to be the ignorant no, customer. I don't math much. Four hundred is ten percent of two thousand. You said four thousand. I said two. You said two thousand. Okay, I'm wrong. You fucking idiot. See, it's- told you I'm not a freaking math person i thought you was like a mathman engineer no well what happens is you've uh you've got <laughs> rick here now now rick's n- not as good as Corey. rick's always the weird one because it's it's hard for me to guess on rick because rick's a passion purchaser like if there's going to be something that he's passionate about he's almost going to pay you retail for it because even if he can't sell this he can have this so I've seen him do that with cars. I've seen him do that with antique windmills. I've well, seen him. The old man's done that a few times when it comes to cars yes. or precious metals because he had a thing for silver. Like he loved buying silver. Oh, absolutely. Because the old man believed that the price of silver was going to continue to rise and you're not going to be able to continue to find more of this stuff. So mm-hmm. if you have silver, hold on to silver. And if somebody's wanting to let go of silver, he's like, well, I might as well take that off your hands. But you've got, you know, Chum Lee, there's a lot of people that think he's a plant, like not a plant, like an actual like green thing that uses, oh, you know, I photosynthesis. Thought, yeah, but he's he's an actor that's planted in the show. And turns out Chum Lee is actually a real person. Austin Russell is the real person, Chum Lee, who has actually been hanging around that shop with Corey as his best friend since he was 12 years old. And I kind of enjoy the show more so watching it, knowing that because the interactions between him and Rick, even though some of the stuff in the show seems just nasty, awkward cringe for how how cringe the writing is on it. The the actual interactions that you catch every now and then between Chum and Rick would be just like me aggravating Dane's dad Mm -hmm. if I was to be at a job with him. Like, let's see what I can do to push this guy's buttons right now. Yeah. And it's it's a very fun thing. They they have History Channel. They have the Antiques Roadshow was on there for a little while. Then they had American Pickers as well, which that had Mike and Frank, the two guys in the one van. Also a really good show. Very good show that if you cool like. Van. Like I just love the variety that you can get in this kind of show in like, what do you want to learn today? Because they will teach you because it being a history channel show, they are very focused on giving you these bits and pieces of input on these items and where they're from. Yes. They are taking breaks, doing Wikipedia studies, you know, being fed lines, being fed lines and everything else. But the way that it comes out to me is very educational. 
uh, because they also do cross platforming with stuff but, uh, with uh, Forged in Fire that I've mentioned on here previously. One of the guys on Forged in Fire is actually one of their recurring blade specialists that will come in, Dave Baker. Uh, I call him. Actually, I've got a list of recurring characters that are on the show, and if you've ever watched Pawn Stars, you'll know that you'll know that they Wait, always. David re- Baker's been on Pawn Stars. Yes, he has. Wow, I didn't realize that. And I've watched a bunch of them. Ancient Aliens. Uh, but you've got a bunch of different ones, and I've only included maybe about four or five on here. I haven't actually counted. But some of my favorite ones that are recurring, you've got Steve Grad, the Authenticator. That's his, that's his title. He's the Authenticator. He works for Beckett Services, which Beckett is an authentication service. He verifies uh, anything that's going to be an autograph. He takes his iPad with a, with a lens that's a micro lens on the back of his iPad. He pulls up the authors or or athletes or whoever's signature he has for these autographs the and he pulls up examples of their real autographs and he goes side by side comparison on his ipad with this micro lens looking for actual overlaps in the ink making sure that it's actually been signed and he finds the comparisons on stuff that's going to be real or fake and it is always a big letdown when something's fake because it almost builds up your hope with these people that are in there in the shop like like man, I hope this is real. I hope they really found like this autographed, you know, rookie card of such and such. It's it's really interesting to do to see stuff like that. Or people who their entire like family lineage has believed this thing is real. Like there's no doubt in oh their mind God. that this Abraham Lincoln autographed baseball is not a real thing and it's like no, this was stamped on there like and then their their entire life is a lie at that point because it's been an heirloom for for generations. Are you saying that all seven of my baseballs signed by Abraham Lincoln is fake? Statistically, six of them are probably fake. I would give you that one is real. Oh out of the God. ones out of the ones that I've seen on Pawn Stars, they would probably be not authentic. Dave Baker, his nickname is the Railroad Smith because that describes his look to a T. He's a man that just stepped off of an 1800s railroad and he is going to be a smithy. He's he's got the look. He looks like he belongs in that time. Uh, he's uh, he's really good at giving you specific examples as to why swords are not going to be from what era they're supposed to be from. Like he'll point out just even in smithing techniques, he'll even be able to point out like this was done with this technique. They didn't have this during this time. So blade reproductions that even look like they are more antiqued and they look older, he'll be able to pick them out. Uh, we've got the librarian. Her name is Rebecca Romney. Now this lady is an expert on all literature. This is the most ridiculous thing. She's an expert on all literature as far as book conditioning, book value, uh, period pieces dating from the 15th century to the 21st century. Jeez. It is insane. Uh, you had another guy that was a recurring character for a long time who's, I, I say characters, uh, but his name is uh, Danny Coker, also known as The Count. He's the necrotaker. He looks like a more American badass version of the Undertaker when the Undertaker went through his motorcycle phase. He is a motorcycle and automobile restoration expert. So anybody that's going to be having these questions that are that's about the cars or the classic motorcycles or anything else like that, he's one of the guys they pull in for that. Um, you've got my two favorites are the last ones on my list here, and that's going to be Doc Phineas. And Doc Phineas is wizard punk. 
He is literally obsessed with steampunk. And this man has got the most vast knowledge of everything that is antique. Anything that is involving like gear-driven industrial age machinery and anything else like that. This guy is like us. He's just an uber nerd for it. And that's where he just knows everything. That's his specific area that like if they get any, get any of these old machines or these old... Uh, there was this one that was a a a globe that was a star chart based off of astrology and other religions that were combined into a specific science back a thousand years ago. And they were going through this like this description of it. He walks in the store and he says, "Oh, hey, you've got one of those." And he's just he's just a really excited character for stuff that wouldn't we would not know anything besides it looks like a really crappy globe. Like this guy knew exactly what it was just by seeing it. And then you have the master of all things on Pawn Stars. And they call this guy a lot of times. He is the um, administrator of, of the Clark County Heritage Museum and the Howard W. Cannon Aviation Museum. Those are at the McCarran Airport. His nickname is Hatbeard the Red. I was just about to ask, is the dude with the beard and the hat? Hatbeard the Red, Mark Hall Patton. Now, Mark Hall Patton has got a long, long beard list of, well, beard too, but just things that he knows. This man is an expert in all things that that are coming in that are going to be American history or late English history, anything revolving around the you know the English period to where England became the colonies and then the colonies became America, all of that kind of stuff. He's just a an ocean of this knowledge. Imagine watching you know forty something episodes of Pawn Stars in just a few days, and you've seen this man almost twenty times. Like yeah. the ratio of him being on the show as opposed to not being on the show is ridiculous. But he's just, he's one of those guys that would probably be so into the stuff that he knows that it would be hard to have normal conversation with him because that might be all that he's got. That's all he knows. That's all he can conversate about. But I, I recommend somebody to take some time and to invest a little bit of their time in watching some of this, you know, some of this Pawn Stars action because it's very entertaining. It's very educational. And also, that's going to be us one of those days. Like, hopefully, I can deliver lines better than these guys can. Oh, I'm not talking about we're going to be on TV. I'm talking like oh, okay. we're going to have some old stuff <laughs> that we felt like was worth collecting, and we hoarded it, and then now we find ourselves 40 years later in the future. It's worth nothing, and we're thinking like, oh man, this has got to be worth something, and it's either going to be or it's going to be. You know, uh, looks like we're not able to make a deal today. Like my closet of haunted Furbies. Yeah, yeah. and I've got some anyway. Beanie Babies still. Hey, that um, was going to pay for college. That was going to buy yeah. you a new car. Those haunted Furbies sound a lot more interesting, though. I'm like, is it just... Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, Can this, we make uh, some long Furbies? The, these Furby impersonations are making me feel, as the kids say, some kind of way. So I think we need to get out of here. Thank you all for listening to us on iTunes, Spotify, Good Pods, CastBox, blah, blah, blah. All the things that you listen to us on. Keep doing that with five stars. Yum. <laughs> And comment yum if you really think we're tasty to listen to. Whether you like us or you don't like us, five stars feels so good. And then click on the link to, uh, what's it called? Red something? 
Well, you got Redbubble and you Red got Teespring. and Teespring. Click on those and you can find things with their logo and names and fun things like that. And they're not crazy priced. I tried to price them to where they made sense. And you can wear us on your body. Do that. And if you want to, you know, kind of pick our brains a little bit over what something might be worth, send us pictures of your valuable objects and your address at Nerd Grapevine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And if you would like to donate a little bit to the cause and get a shiny holographic nerd to the Grapevine sticker, access future content that we don't automatically make public for everybody, such as grape flavored gaming and other stuff we've still got in the works, donate to the Patreon. And you can find us on Patreon by going to Patreon and looking up Nerd Grapevine. Uh, and as always, I like to give the disclaimer. We have a lot of nonsense on this show. Just, I mean, you could have had somebody pop in at the wrong point today and think that we were involved in some kind of government plotting conspiracy or we were trying to alter the world, you know, through the collective consciousness of everybody through playing the game, which if you just heard that, you just lost the game. So that would probably cause you to have a little bit of. See, the best part about having a podcast with three friends is when your topic ends up like a turd in a punch bowl, they help you out, and it's fantastic. <laughs> Six hands to lift you up, my dude. Exactly. That's why we have friends, and that's also why you should find us on on Discord. I almost said Facebook. I don't know why. Yeah, we're there, too. Yeah, we're, we're there. I don't Whatever. But anyway, find us on Discord. There's a link in the description. There's memes. There's all kinds of fun stuff. And we do now have the Mid Journey bot. It is live most of the time. <laughs> They're having some issues right now, mm-hmm. probably because there's so many people trying to do so many things in so many different places. Hey, yeah. we talked about it recently. It might be our fault for all of our 10 listeners. It could be. Yeah, it could great. be. But get on there, play with it, and talk to us. We're on their live, uncut, uncensored, and irrevocably circumcised. And now we've come to the time of the show where we end the show. <gasps> How do we do that? Tiny. When life gives you grapes. You you pick them up and you look at them and you put them right close to your eyeballs. Okay. And then your earballs. Okay. And then your nose balls. What does a grape sound like? It sounds kind of kind of like you rub two pickles together, but they're not moist. Like two dry pickles. Two dry pickles. Two dry pickles. And then you put them by your nose and you smell them while you rub them together. Okay. So the friction heats them up and creates a whole new substance. It's kind of sticky and kind of paste-like, but it's it's not like the filling of a grape Pop-Tart. It's something decidedly other. (laughs) And then you chase that into the nether realm. Where Chumley offers (laughs) $2,000 for your otherworldly grape jam. And the ghost of old man shows up and he says, well, if you're not wanting them smushed up grapes anymore, I'll take them off your hands. Deal.